This is the one with Cafe Terrace at Night. Almond Blossoms. Wheatfield with Crows. The Church at Orver. And the Starry Night. It's called Vincent and the Doctor. Here we go! We're still on our rentless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Slavine and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Uden, wow! Tenant Smith and Eccleston. And Capali, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but Who back when? Who back when? podcast land and welcome to another episode of who back when your favorite doctor who podcast or dog past <laughs> <laughs> today's episode is presented to you by marie hello marie who is me here i am and the guy in front of me staring intently at me and not breaking eye contact for one second is drew back when bringer of intensity <laughs> and to his left right left correct your left my right <laughs> Also in this room, <laughs> hello, I am Punkin. <laughs> <laughs> and do they even know what episode this is yet? Well, I was getting to that, Drew Rockman. Sorry, sorry. Wait a minute. We are on episode N070. 70? 7-0. Holy smuggerinis and cheesecakes. The this best is like number. your new platinum anniversary. We have blown classic reviews out of the water. <gasps> no way, really? Yeah, we're on like 68 or something. What? Yeah. Do you know what else? This uh, is Marie's maybe. 18th. <gasps> She's finally come of age. You Yay! can finally drink in pubs. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Congratulations, Marie. Thank you. I've been working on it for a long time. <laughs> Um, that was like a really dirty old man laugh from both of us. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not just here to drink and laugh pervertedly. No. We're also here to review a particular episode. Which episode is that, Marie? Oh, I'm sorry. It's called <laughs> Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, that's right. Mm. Oh, my goodness. The suspense is over. <laughs> yeah, finally. Breathe again. <laughs> you know what you're listening to. <laughs> the episode which you have not so subtly been hinting at is your favourite episode ever. I don't know. Well, I feel like... I don't oh, know. now she equivocates. No, I just, I just really, really love it. I haven't... I don't know if it's my Does this mean that you rewatched favorite? it today and you were like, oh, shit, what have I, what have I done? No, yeah. I've outgrown this piece of shit. Oh, I rewatched it today and it made me cry again. It oh, it always makes oh, me I'd cry. Oh, I lost as well. It's yeah, it's yeah. so good. Like I'm, re- I'm genuinely quite worried that you guys are just gonna rip it apart and and <laughs> we'll do that. Poke as well. holes in it <laughs> and make me sad. And I'm just gonna put my fingers in my ears and pretend you're not talking. And <laughs> I didn't cry. <laughs> But based on Marie's talking and hyping this episode up for years, since she's joined the podcast, I watched it with Abby, my wife, a very rare event. Yeah. And she asked me at the end of the episode, what did you think? And I started to begin to talk and love formed in the throat. <laughs> so I didn't quite cry, but my voice did crack. Okay. What did, what did your wife think of this? We'll get to that. Oh. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The doctor trying to fill Amy's Rory-shaped void by actually uh-huh. doing normal tourist things with his infinity box takes her to the Musée d'Orsay, where they make a startling discovery. 
In Vincent van Gogh's The Church of Auvers, some malevolent chicken-shaped oil-rendered force of evil is lurking in one of the shadows. Off they go to fuck with history. Thus they plop to Auvers, where Vincent gingerly flirts with Amy, the doctor unearths his godmother's rearview mirror, and a space chicken kicks the bucket. Be scow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? You are just. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what you are. All right, who wants to kick us off with a question? You, obviously. <laughs> you no, just I, did. No, I, I actually don't. Follow it up with a real one. I, I, the only question I've got in my... Th- actually, I've got a bunch of questions, but the only one that I... <laughs> no, you know what? No, no, no. For now. No, no. That would be too much. <laughs> I couldn't possibly begin with one. How about this? I'll start with not a question, a statement. You, Marie, very recently watched a film about Vincent van... I'm going to say Gogh. Ooh, that's not how the doc pronounces it. No, that's not yeah. how you pronounce it. But but you did recently watch a film about him, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. so you are probably the the greatest expert on Vincent Van <laughs> in the room. In room. Well, the film is called Loving Vincent. Ah. It doesn't go anywhere near his surname. <laughs> Do they just never mention his surname? No, in literally never. <laughs> they avoid that like Vincent the plague. <laughs> the OG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Vinny Jeers. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Yes. Um, no, it was a beautiful film. It's um, animated and done oh, it? in the style of Vincent van Gogh work. Uh, and it was gorgeous. They uh, like really, like every prominent British actor that you've ever heard of um, is in it. And they, I think, was act, Bill Nye acted in it? it out. <sighs> I don't know. No, he wasn't. Was actually. No, he wasn't. So there you go. I, I'm sorry. Well. I uh, think Drew saw it also. Have you seen it, Drew? I saw it on Tuesday at the Curzon, where the co-director, Hugh Welchman, gave a Q&A. <gasps> Holy shit, no snacks. Way. That's better than mine. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I can't compete with this. No. Oh, my goodness. What have you done for this episode, Leon? <laughs> uh, I did some finger painting, and <laughs> I ate some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but did you at least cook that chicken in oil? Oh, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coconut oil. Uh, right. <laughs> On a canvas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, did did your recent exploration of Vincent Van Gogh's or oh, shit? Do you know what? I How do we pronounce his name? I also saw a documentary last week called Stealing Van Gogh, and I'm going to say Van Gogh because well, you're this, saying Gogh. This documentary was about when two of his paintings were stolen from the Van Gogh Museum oh. in Amsterdam mm-hmm. in yeah. 2003, I want to say. And they tracked them all over Europe, and it ended up in this Italian uh, mobster's sort of hands. Obviously. He was called Pinocchio. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, and he gave, he, he gave them up <laughs> so he could get some time off his inevitable sentence, although I think he's holed up in an emirate somewhere, oh. which doesn't have an extradition treaty with Italy. I'm getting off topic, but why, anyway. why doesn't... Can someone tap me on the shoulder when I'm supposed to get surprised? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the point was, is that Theo Van Gogh's great-grandson... Who Wait, is who's this? Who's Theo Van Gogh? The brother. brother. Oh, oh right. it's not... Re- yeah, because it's in the film. It's not in this episode. Yeah, I, I know embarrassingly little about Vincent yeah. Van Gogh. But he was incredibly close to his brother, and so the film Loving Vincent is um, kind of loosely based on his let- letters to his brother. Oh. And the last letter they ever wrote, um, and the postman is trying to deliver it, and then realises that Theo died, I think, about six weeks... Six weeks or six months? Six months. Six months after Vincent died. 
um, through heartache. Oh my goodness! And a little bit of syphilis. Look, just a smidgen of syphilis. So you know, mainly the heart, heartache. But a little bit just of just the tip. Yeah, yeah sure. just the tip. Um, with syphilis. Yeah. Wait, just a tip. Oh, of syphilis, not just the tip <laughs> of heartache. Okay, gotcha, no, no, gotcha. No, no. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. But they were incredibly <laughs> close. And uh, and he funded him, like Theo funded Vincent's lifestyle basically, and he said go uh, be an artist, and he basically gave him money and paid all his bills and like supported him, and so that's how he lived despite having never sold any work. This is genuinely one of my questions, which is meant for you because I didn't know that you'd also seen this film recently, Drew. Is how did he sustain his lifestyle? Yeah. I had no idea. And his brother like believed in him, and then the thing that wasn't also wasn't covered in this episode or the film. Um, is that Theo's wife um, was then really um, active in getting Vincent's work out there and so she became his uh-huh. like champion after he died and she publicised his work and put together collections and went to like art dealers and stuff and she is why we know Vincent van Gogh. Oh wow. Is his Theo's wife, yeah. She was in an early draft of the film but they had to do a lot of cutting <laughs> so they could actually produce the damn thing. Yeah. But the point I was getting to was Theo's great-grandson appeared on this documentary I saw last week, and he pronounced the name Van Gogh. That's what he yeah. said. And, and okay, this is, this is just one of the Van Gogh clan saying Van Gogh once for an English audience. But he said Van Gogh, so it's clearly not off limits. Well, my point was going to oh, be interesting. that in the, so getting back to Doctor Who, if we may. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> well, let's do that. That's why we're here. Um, so it's Bill Nye says Van Gogh um, in that guttural way that they do. And the Doctor says Van Gogh. And aren't we... He said, no, wait, really, does he? I thought he the Doctor says Van Gogh. Does he? I thought it's Van Gogh. Drew? Arbiter? Oh, I, I don't know. I feel like all, everyone but Bill Nye, I, maybe I'm mistaken, I thought everyone in this serial, in this episode, was saying Van Gogh. Like, they were basically pronouncing it the English way. No, I think... Oh, I wouldn't say Van Gogh. Sound, you get a sound oh, really? clip, because I'm pretty sure the doc says Van Gogh. Art can wait. This is life and death. We need to talk to Vincent Van Gogh. My point was going to be that the doc speaks all languages fluently and his pronunciation should be the right pronunciation. Ah, uh, see, I'm Which not I so... Think if I, Theo's grandson is saying Van think, Gogh, and he is a Van Gogh, then surely yeah, he knows yeah, how it's to his say own it. name. Yeah. yeah, that definitely <laughs> uh, lends more credence to this yeah. than, than how the doctor pronounces it, because that, in looking at my notes, that is definitely one of the strong points, like mm. one of the things I want to talk about. Yeah. Pronunciation and language. Mm. I would suggest that Van Gogh is the American way of saying it. Oh, is it? But I don't know what I'm basing that on. Just utter prejudice. <laughs> I, think, I think I've always said Van Gogh. Yeah. But I don't know. Proper English sort of the earth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, one of my friends from back in Stockholm, he used to live in Amsterdam and he always pronounced it. I don't know. I say always because every single time we met, we used to talk <laughs> about this chap. He pronounced it Van Gogh. What? Yeah, which is entirely different, mm. right? Uh, but, yeah, anyway. I have heard it that way as well. Oh, have you? Yeah, the first G is nothing. And the, the G second is G silence. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. actually, if even during his lifetime it was pronounced differently because he lived all over the world. He lived, yeah, he did, like, yeah. The, the Arlesienne would have pronounced it Van Gogh. <laughs> Van Gogh? Ah. So maybe he didn't even know what it was supposed to sound like. That's yeah. possible. Well, it, check. That's one. Uh, that's one <laughs> question. While we're in the like pernickety phase, yeah. um, I wanted to sort of point out maybe that um, the timeline isn't hugely accurate either. Is oh, it? Really? No. Oh, explain. Because um, so the so we all know famously that Van Gogh 
cut his ear off. Yep. And went in the hospital. Oh, do we? We do. There was another documentary about that, and there's medical wait, wait, documentary. Wait, 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 hang on. Wait, why are you expressing doubts? Because, Drew. because people have written books saying he just sliced a bit of it off. And actually, aha, Hugh Welchman, mm. in the Q&A at the end of the screening I saw, he said that they had to go back and repaint 3,000 frames, 3,000 oil-painted frames of this film because this book came out mid-production, yeah. which went some way to debunking that he cut his entire ear off. So they put a bit more uh, ear on. Yeah, it's not the entire ear. So, so I saw a doc- it, probably the same thing, actually. I saw a documentary last year and it was basically cut the lobe off and they ha- found the medical records and there's a diagram, there's a drawing of his ear and there's a line where he like sliced it. So it's not the entire ear, it's, it's oh my the lobe. Okay. But that, sh- that so he went into a mental institute um, got treatment for that, came out, and then went into this prolific, like, did the most paintings of his life. Oh, so the, the ear prior. was, it so, preceded yeah. the, the time period of this episode yeah. of Doctor Who. so he should have been missing a lobe, basically, and he wasn't. Interesting. Okay, so th- this episode was written by Richard Curtis. Yeah. Uh, who is famous for a number of different things. Blackadder. Uh, he, Blackadder. I, I wasn't going to go to Blackadder. I was going to go... Dibley. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, wait, what? The, no, wait, that's... What? Vicar of Dibley. Yeah, it does Vicar of Dibley. Yeah. Wait, wait, what's Vicar of Dibley? <gasps> oh, oh my God, what? goodness. It's... It's, it's a, like, British, like, sitcom at his finest. Okay, I was going to say he wrote Love Actually. And Four Weddings and a Funeral. And Four Weddings and a Funeral, and yes. And rocked. nothing, Notting Hill. Well, he wrote yes, Four yes. Weddings and a... If you ignore the film work, though, because his TV <laughs> stuff is a lot stronger. I I, you see, I'm not familiar with his film work, but I was going to say he wrote Love Actually, which also starred Bill Nye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, he, this is from IMDb Trivia, uh, he refused to do anything even remotely related to the ear. Oh. To that. He didn't want to in any way disrespect Vincent yeah, Van yeah. Gogh. Fine, I'm going to call him Van Gogh now. Uh, he didn't want to disrespect him in any way, and he didn't want to make the ear a plot point. So he refused. Yeah. He flat out refused, which I guess means I, maybe in early drafts it was part of it. I think that actually, I only got, um, I got sort of started to question the order in which things had happened, um, and then went and looked on Wikipedia, and then kind of realized and went, oh, this is wrong. But it doesn't take away anything from the episode that he has an ear or not has an ear. Like okay, so here's a question in this specific regard: mm. at the end, towards the end, when mm. the doctor goes, "Hey, Vincent," uh, and Vincent topless shows up, like <laughs> pops out of the window. Yeah, he is holding oh, doctor, a razor. You me. I was just working out. <laughs> where he's holding a razor. Oh no! Because a- Amy's just told him to shave his beard. Oh, is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, he says she says shave your beard next time you kiss someone. Oh, I didn't. And oh. he goes and he. I you know what? You're 100 yeah. right. I was gonna say maybe that's the low. Well, let's finagle in the ear thing. That, yeah. No, no, you're right. You're yeah, because right. that would be really sad. He's just had this really magical. I've had the best experience of my life. Yeah, cut off my ear to commemorate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does go from utter manic depression to the complete opposite. Within a, with yeah, like as long no as it time. takes from the doctor to walk yeah. from set A to set B. Yeah, that's true. So he can go the other way. Yeah, true. That is true. Yeah. Um, the other thing with the timeline is that the um, when Amy turns up with all the sunflowers, 
Yeah. He's already painted the sunflowers by then, like a couple of years oh. earlier. Yeah. Which that bothered me more than the ear thing, I think, because he did so many paintings in those two months. They could have picked anything and she could have been the inspiration for one of his later paintings. See, the whole intro with Bill Nye, like yeah. when, when he says, well, he, he was super productive towards the very end of his life yeah. and he compares him to Shakespeare and yada, yada, yada. But it, it makes it seem to the layman, in brackets, including myself, as though he did nothing throughout his entire life until the last, let's say, up to 11 months of his life, at which point he did everything. It's basically, I think he he went to um, a lot of different art schools and he was very, like, competent artist, but just kind of traditional art. And it was like the style that we know him for now, that came along in the last kind of two years of his life, I think. Oh. Um, so it was a very different, if you look at his earlier work, Is it it's completely unrecognisable. Yeah, oh, wow. it's so different. And it's the style that what made him what he is and made him like this godfather of art kind of thing. Like I'm 100% art. watching that this, just this documentary that you just, well, not documentary, bit. the film that you saw. Yeah. Well, oh. that, I think that doesn't... That well, doesn't I, I don't care. I, anyway, I want to know more about a, Vincent now. Yeah. Oh, Vincent. You know our friend Vince. Film. It's set like a year after he died though. So he's actually, it's already like, too, like he's already dead, but it yeah, kind he's of does entirely flashbacks. Absent. He's, ba- he's in it a, a little bit for flashbacks, but it's basically yeah. like putting together like his last few days. And he has next to no dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Whereas in this episode, yeah, let's get back to dialogue. Yeah, let's get back to dialogue. And one of Abby's notes, yeah, was that some of it was quite stilted because she recognised some of it as being taken directly from his letters, his copious oh, letters that he wrote oh, really? to, to Theo. Wait, like what? Everyone. She didn't give me any examples. <laughs> but I think it's safe to say that as much of what he said as possible was shoehorned in yeah. from, a, from a leaf here or there. Really? And, and it took her out of it when she recognised a bit of dialogue and it didn't, it wasn't exactly what someone would naturally say. Yeah. But it was in the episode because it was something he'd written. Okay. Mm. Well, all right. Cool. Interesting. I, I didn't realise this. Uh, what's his face? Curtis. What's his face? Richard, Richard Curtis. Curtis. Richard Curtis. Thank you. Dickie uh, uh, C. <laughs> Dickie C. <laughs> yeah. uh, apparently he did more research for this than he would have for anything else, including reading reading books about yeah, um, yeah. Vincent Bang. Off. And he went to the trouble of writing his only ever Doctor Who episode about him. So yeah. he, he must have a profound reverence for the guy. That was going to be a question for you guys, actually. I didn't realise this was the only one. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But I, think, I think he is such a beloved like artist and people are really captured by the story. Like His his work stands alone and is, is absolutely gorgeous and obviously people love that as well. But, sure. but I think the story is so tragic and it is this idea that someone so, so talented could live your whole life unrecognised and die alone and you know a pauper and you and never yeah. know how loved you will become kind of thing that kind of resonates with people so in in jumping into this ep- jumping back into this episode yeah. should we maybe on that note jump straight to the end and just talk about that for a oh second God, because isn't yeah. isn't this the that's the heartbreaker of yeah, of this episode absolutely Oh my goodness! Yeah. He gets to he gets to see how he was appre- how he is to be appreciated as an artist. Yeah. Like when who oh. back when goes global after our deaths <laughs> <laughs> and becomes the, the, the totemic cultural artifacts of the twenty second century. When people realise we should have been listening to them all along, and now they've gone. <laughs> 
And now we just have to send their holograms on tour. <laughs> so you've got oh, 200 episodes to listen to. <laughs> I cannot wait for my hologram to go on tour. <laughs> That's going to be great. You know, they can reconstruct your hologram from all those Instagram pictures Miriam has been taking of you. Oh, wonderful. From every conceivable angle. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> No, but seriously, the yeah. ending of this episode is, it, it, it's the only thing that I remembered mm. of this episode from back in 2000 and whenever, when it yeah, aired. Yeah. 2010? Nine? Ten. 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 Yeah. So the doctor even does say, AD, 2010. Yeah, does, that's actually. the one, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't remember the alien. I didn't remember anything. Mm. Not even the, like, the absence of Rory. The only thing I remembered was the ending at yeah. the Musée d'Orsay. Oh. Oh my goodness. I think, I think it's such a powerful ending. And it's so, I think the whole f- thing actually is very bittersweet. Like every time there's a really heart wrenching moment and then there's this little bit of comedy thrown in as well. I think that's Richard Curtis is really good at that. He's like mixing the kind of comedy and tragedy. This is the love actually it, coming it, into play, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the Blackadder as well. Like the. What the, if Blackadder did he write? Sorry, I'm just curious. All of it. He was a. Wait, cre- all of it? Cre- he's a, one of the founding like creators. He's, what? He's yeah. the only writer that's listed on every single series of Blackadder. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was him and Rowan Atkinson for series one and him and I thought it was just Rowan Atkinson. No. No, no, Rowan Atkinson stepped back. Oh my goodness. This is why I mentioned Blackadder because everyone knows Richard Curtis from Love Actually and Love Actually is a bit of a kind of love-hate. It is quite cheesy. I love it. It is a little bit like stalkery in places. It is, but I love it still. It's amazing. Yeah, but I think I do like Blackadder is such a more like I didn't well know he loved. was behind this. Yeah. I love Blackadder. Yeah. Well, at least seasons two to four. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, the um, the last scene. Yeah. So the 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 last line that Bill Nye Bill Nye is perfectly cast as well. By the way, like he's so good in that role. Um, I've got a bit, uh, bit of trivia about Bill Nye. Oh. Uh, check this out. He was offered the role of the Doctor. <gasps> Are you kidding? Yeah. When? No, I'm not kidding. When? Uh. Oh, I don't know when oh. he w- he didn't say it didn't say on IMDb when <laughs> he was offered the role of the Doctor. That'd be interesting to see which Doctor he would have replaced. Mm. I think possibly Smith, and he was he declined the role because he said it came with too much quote it came with too much baggage. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely seen too many Tenant episodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so it, it, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so yeah, this absolutely. this trap could have been the yeah. Doctor. By the I way. He would have been really good, I think. He would have been great, right? Like, I love Matt Smith. I'm glad that he wasn't, because we would never have got Matt Smith. But um, I think he would have been awesome. If he wants to come along after... Oh, what's the name? Whittaker. After Whittaker. Yeah, he can uh, be the next one. He's going to be in his mid-70s by then. No, that's oh, he'll, he'll be that's too old. True. Too old. You've missed your slot. That being said, <laughs> mid-70s now is what mid-50s was in the mid-60s. When, when You've lost me. <laughs> Hartnell's... Uh, you know when... Okay, hang on. Wait, sorry. Slight tangent. In um, Twice Upon a Time, when Faux Hartnell, a.k.a. Fartnell... I am younger than you! Exactly. That yes. particular scene... Hardnell, sorry, uh, Capaldi is not younger than Hardnell was at the time. Yeah, they're the same age, aren't they? They're roughly the same age, anyway, yeah. yeah. So, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like, mid-70s... Mid-70s is nothing. (laughs) Mid-70s now is mid-50s in the mid-60s. Yeah. Boom. Okay. All right, so let's jump... I I have two controversial points. Oh. Is one of them that we should get back to Doctor Who? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it will be achieved thereby. Okay, let's go. My feeling... Even though 
I can't deny that it was working on me, that final scene, with the swelling music mm. and yeah. Vincent looking around in this rotunda, reflecting his genius back at him, now finally recognised by the world. I thought that it was quite jarring that they just had this sort of song playing, as they might at the end of a Richard Curtis film, in a Doctor <laughs> Who episode. <laughs> and that it was given, like, two minutes or so oh, to no. really build and take center stage and everything else went quiet and i was thinking this is this is an outlier i really liked it i did like it was a bit jarring actually because i remember thinking at the time like as does has this ever happened before yeah, yeah, not, yeah like do they normally have lyrics it's normally just a score rather than a song um and i was very aware that it's playing on your emotions it's tugging at your heartstrings it's building up to something but i didn't care i was just swept away with it and in I, a sense it's just worth it yeah exactly like you exactly. realize the the game that they are playing yeah on you and yeah. it is entirely i think there's very it. few moments where you could get away with doing that and i think this is one of them this is why okay. people like the holiday even though it's a shit movie <laughs> you know <laughs> like it, it's just worth it yeah the, do you know what really pissed me off about the the last bit when i was like hey hey vince check out your presence in uh, the Musée d'Orsay it's that there. it's just so messy and chaotic there are like children sitting on the floor ugh no. yeah gross gross taking there at night when it's closed and they can <laughs> sneak in and no no but yeah, I, I'm happy for there to be people there in yeah. fact I want there to be people there so that Vincent can see people admiring his work but just yeah. adults only <laughs> oh. well even if there are children there I don't want them sitting on the floor doing stuff that is non-Vincent Van Goghy actually know? yes I was, if they were there being utterly inspired being captivated exactly. like mummy exactly. I'm gonna go away and become a famous artist like Mr. Vincent exactly yes it, that's exactly what I want okay right? but, if, but have you been to museums because I was at the museum do say with Mirimu uh, only a few months ago. Yeah. And uh, by the way, that room does not look that way. No, it doesn't. At yeah. all. But, but I'd, I'd forgotten what that was, actually. I thought they were in Amsterdam in the Van Gogh Museum. Ooh. And I've never been there. And I was like, oh, it looks so great. I want to go there. And then when I realized <laughs> it was the Museum of say, I was like, no, I have no, been there. No. It doesn't look like that. Well, I, I mean, don't... bits of it do look, do look yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The they, entranceway. They have... I, I, I like to think it was a special exhibition okay. on at the time. Okay. It, it was one of those days when the Museum of was almost empty and no one was allowed in <laughs> except for matt smith yeah. no but, but in general like i i didn't like the chaos of it and i think that last scene powerful though it was it would have been even more powerful if all of it everything in there had been directed towards admiration of vincent mangoff no i disagree i think it, it was nice that it was because it was you have this chaos of he's looking around and seeing everything and there's like People go back with past with Walkmans and stuff. Not Walkmans, yeah. but it's like a radio anyway, or something. Yeah. And he's like looking at everything, and they're like, "No, no, no, this way, this way." And they have to direct him because there's so much for him to see. And it's like you've taken this man out. That's of That's not the messy part. He's objecting to. No, no, I know. And I, but even in the room, like I don't know how like like realistic it is that every person is said they're going, "Wow, this is the best thing in my life I've ever seen." I think it would feel overkill. It would be too much. It wouldn't be realistic if it was like that. So okay. what he was in was a messy exhibition it's really busy it's really packed half the people have been dragged along kids don't want to be there they've been dragged along by their parents see but i don't want to see that no but i don't want to see that. i do i think it's i went to museums as a kid yeah i was i was entranced by museums as a kid i was the one who was dragging around reading every single true every single notice about every single exhibit I my don't parents know wanted to leave typical 10 year old though <laughs> <laughs> sorry to burst your bubble but, but all you need is two super nerdy 10 year olds to be in the same room at the same time yeah and that can happen yeah 
Yeah, like, make it happen. <laughs> or you could you could have one super nerdy ten year old go, "This is amazing," and they laugh, and then the other ten year old says, "Mammy, I don't like it," and then they laugh at that as well. Aren't kids contrary? You're making this into a much bigger scene than it needs to be. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, it does go on for quite some time. No. I, I, when they were sort of moving towards that, I, cause I'd never seen this episode as indeed none of this series so far yeah. previously, I thought they wrapped it up too quickly. They're, they're having to pad out the time. I didn't realize there was going to be a massive point to it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but that's interesting as well is that not like we never get this. No matter what you've been through, you have the most intense moment like of your life in an episode. And then they just go, oh, bye then, see you later, we're, we're off in the TARDIS. And so to give him this, not only this taking him back to, like, in the future, but just the moment when they all, they're sat in the grass and they all hold hands and they stop and look up at the stars, that, that never happens. That was really beautiful. Yeah. They didn't mm. do that for Shakespeare. No. And he's still a big name. Yeah, yeah. Randy old dog. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get to my second contrary point. Okay. Oh, let's hear it. Matt Smith was quite annoying. He was quite annoying in it, certainly what? towards the third act. I thought he was annoying at the beginning. Really? Wait, oh, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. How wait. early are we talking? Explain. Yeah. Well, he's just sort of larking about. Um, perhaps do, by the third act, do you mean when they're outside in the uh, graveyard? Yeah. The the main the, the, he he was super annoying to me, and the time the moment when I realised this was when Vincent was painting the church, mm. and he's. I mean, this is part of the script. He's meant to be annoying, right? But at this point, it's just like oh. Fuck off, Matt Smith. No, I, w- I, I, want, I want this whole, the rest of this episode to be without you. Yeah. yeah Not sure. because of Matt Smith, but because of the way that he was written. The bit that really annoyed me about the Doctor was um, when Vincent is attacking the monster, the invisible monster that nobody can see, and the Doc's like, I'll help, grabs a stick, and then just goes and wanders off into a corner and starts poking oh, at thin air. Yes, Actually, you're that right. was it. That like, was it. No, no you're no, right. Poke you're right. at the bit that Vincent is poking at. He can Clearly. see the thing. Oh, you're so you right. You know where it is. Turn around. I know. That I really think, pissed me off. I think at that point, the the production team, yeah. not so much the writer, not so much Curtis, but like the, the production team hadn't quite decided... Does the doctor think that Vincent is crazy yeah. or does he realize that Vincent sees something that no one else sees? Yeah, maybe. No, 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 because, at, well, because at that point he's been knocked over by the invisible something. Oh, actually, so you know what? Sorry, know. sorry, sorry, sorry. I take it back. Yeah. You're right. Um, the only thing that redeems that slightly is when they are in the church, he does it again and Vincent is like, it's over here, you screaming idiot. Yeah, because it's pulled up on, then I kind of think, oh, okay, it's fine. Yeah, it is a moment of supreme burkery. Yeah. When he's flailing. <laughs> so stupid. Just facing away, and he turns around, and he there's there's no way he can sell that moment. No. Supreme burkery, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, also, <laughs> when when he walks into the church, and he's holding his rearview mirror in front of him, and he's he knows where the monster is because he's Vincent has told him it's by the window. Yeah, yeah, but the church is replete with windows. Well, but you he also doesn't know exactly what, what angle. Yeah, but he doesn't know what moment this is. Like maybe Vincent saw the animal or the monster, whatever the alien no, no, in no. that particular window at one particular time and then just drew it like that or painted it like that no because i think how it's filmed like he can hear it as well i think he can hear it shuffling around so he keeps looking in the corner where the monster is here's where we get he walks, to the language bit that i want to talk about he walks forward and he keeps looking in his rearview mirror that's behind him and then he keeps looking in front of him that where the monster is and it's like 
you you should walk backwards if you know that yes. it's there into the church walk backwards. backwards yeah look in the mirror and see it don't walk right up to it and then and then turn your mirror around and go oh no no i can't see it it's very much like the medusa situation yeah, right? yeah. It's like how are you facing your situation you have that there are lots of different clips and they're all really well i, I want to say edited i don't know if that's the wrong right word in this case but like it's nicely cut in the sense that he's like flipping to the right he's yeah. flipping to his left yeah, yeah. And but he's there's a lot in the of wrong direction. Exactly. There's yeah. a lot of tension in there. Yeah. But when once you just stop and think about what he's doing, it's just like you're an idiot. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what about what's in front of you? Exactly. Like at that point, he's got his w- w- uh, back to a wall and he's checking the mirrors. And, but, and they know the that bulk of the church is in front of you. And they know that there's only one of them because a Vincent has only ever seen one, and yeah. b he said, oh, they often leave one behind. So there's like a solo hunter. So he's not. It's not like he knows there's one in front of him and he's checking for one behind him because that could be like if they'd have made a ma- reference to like maybe there's more than one. But no, yeah, it, it just, it's just stupid. No, there's a lot of that element that is just pure and, and utter bullshit. Mm. The yeah. other thing that pissed me off is the sound effect of it running. Oh, wait, oh, of what running? Of <laughs> the monster uh, running. What's it called, the Crefeus? Because it was like a clippity-cloppity, like a horse effect. Oh, it was! And then you see its <gasps> feet and it's clawed, and there's no way that it would make that sound. I missed that. The, yeah. the talons, oh, well, yeah. the talons of this thing, the weight of a horse, yeah. let's say, wouldn't make a clippity-cloppity sound? I don't think oh, so. a clippity you say? If you have claws for hunting, they don't touch the floor when you run. They, like, you have pads. You make a silent Yeah, that's note, true. Like, yeah, yeah. Grifface is, yeah, you, I mean, that's a well-known fact about yeah. that alien. I yeah. think so, uh-huh. yeah. No, <laughs> the clip-clop sound of a horse comes because it's... it's You're using the, coconut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were but they were the only three things that bothered me. So let's not say any more negative things now. <laughs> oh wait, oh really? Okay, I guess okay. I'm gonna be quiet for the rest of this podcast because I have a few things oh, that no. did annoy me. Okay. Oh, can oh. I just say though? Oh please. Go I'll leap in with something positive. I'll do it. Mm, good. I really was gripped by the super cheap effect of Matt Smith running through uh, narrow French alleys. Do you mean fake France slash fake Venice? (gasps) I was going to mention that. (laughs) Fake Venice as well. Yeah, yeah, it's the same same location. It is, It is. yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 Somewhere here I wrote, oh, fake France looks like fake Venice. And then it turns out, actually, it is actually the same location. It looks so similar (laughs) to that. It really reminds me, what's that one it reminds me of? Oh, Vampires of Venice. And then we Googled it and it's like, oh no, yeah. It actually is. It's in in Croatia. It's an old European city. Like, why would you go to two locations one will do downtown Dubrovnik or yeah, something yeah. <laughs> okay but him just running through those narrow alleys with the occasional prop going on the slant yeah. but the music and the running and the fearfulness and not having any visual reference as to where this thing was yeah. or when he might get swiped or not I found that actually really surprisingly effective <laughs> I was annoyed by something during that scene and subsequent scenes Oh, I apologise for bringing this up I was annoyed I tried Marie I really <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Trio. For the record, I love this episode. <laughs> okay. yeah. I was annoyed, however, by the complete and utter absence of anyone else except for when the like the girl gets murdered by the animal, mm. right? So aside from that, there's never anyone else, including when he runs the through the town. 
He runs through the town. That scene that you just described, and he's throwing bits in the way so that but the cafe is incredibly runs into it and whatever. early in the morning at that point. Yes. No one else is up. Oh, because ever. Yeah, it's true. It's because it's midsummer. I that could thought, be like four hours. I thought ever. you would have another problem with that um, oh, what's scene that? because it's the same again that we had with Vampires of Venice is the day and nighttime shifting. So it's nighttime when he goes in the TARDIS. <gasps> He oh spends goodness. five minutes finding his thing and looking it up and it's a parrot. No, it's a polar bear. No, I can't find it. And then he exits and then it's broad daylight. You know what? I didn't even, I didn't even, that didn't even register. Yeah, yeah. I thought you'd well, no. spot that. I mean, he leaves Amy to have her assignation with Vince. <laughs> but she can't sleep because he's snoring. Yeah. That's why she's up super early in the morning. Yeah. He takes a quick nip in one of the TARDIS's master bedrooms, wakes up at the crack of dawn. What, what leads Vincent to lay down and snore in his bedroom? Room, oh, good question, Leon. Did why is he so exhausted? <laughs> did Vince and Amy go to the Bone Zone? That's what I want to know. Did they party down know. in Bone Town? I could well believe that they did actually. So maybe, so maybe that is explaining why it was daylight. Then it's not. It's not that they cocked up. Damn it's that it. the Doctor was like, "I'm gonna go and t- kill some time now. I'm gonna leave you to it." And- yeah, I'm gonna kill maybe a couple of hours. Yeah. Just going to have a couple of hours. <laughs> well, I mean, Vincent looks pretty starved. <laughs> well, well, you know, well done, Vincent. <laughs> I don't know. He's been snoring for a pretty long time, guys. I wouldn't give him that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to hang out in the TARDIS for maybe five to seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this leads, leads me to a different point. Mm. Vincent does seem to know about, quote-unquote, Amy's loss. Mm. Right? So, and, and for that reason, and because... I guess this episode tells us that Vincent is a good guy and we should relate to him as sort of a pillar of morality. Mm. For that reason, I'm assuming that he wouldn't bump uglies with yeah. Amy, even though he clearly wants to. He pretty much says, like, hey, whenever you tire of the doctor, come stay with me and I'll blow your vag out. <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what he says. Aww. But, but he also say, he says, I love, he's like, that he loves her. He says he would marry her. Like, he's not treating it like a one night stand. He, like, he would, if she would have him he would spend his life with her yeah he'd I spend don't... his life impregnating her well seriously that, that's, that's what I mean by blow your vag out yeah, no, we're I gonna that. have children by the dozens yeah. <laughs> by the seventh you won't even know it's happening <laughs> it'll just fall out while you're walking anyway like it, it seems as though he's too good a person for that to yeah, happen yeah right the, Wait, oh I, my god that scene though when, which scene when he goes oh I've written it down what does he say when he knows about her loss that's yeah. the sound by 2225 if Amy Pond can soldier on and so can Vincent van Gogh. I'm not soldiering on, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, Amy, I hear the song of your sadness. You've lost someone, I think. I'm not sad. Then why are you crying? Oh, it's beautiful. And oh she actually God. is crying. It's such a simple line, and it, but oh, it's beautiful. And I think actually... When you were saying that how annoying the doc is in this episode, Amy's not annoying in the slightest. Like Amy's so good in this episode, she really she is. redeems herself so much, and she's better written than the doc. Yeah, is. I think so. And she and she has this like sorrow about her, but she's not even aware of it. And you kind of 
the the whole Rory thing and there being this void and there's a doc has a little slip up and he says Amy and Rory and she's like what are you talking about and that's a good like, moment yeah that's a, that's a fantastic yeah moment. like there's so many little nods to it oh. and it's really it's really well, hard you say there are so many I think there are like three or four but they are perfectly yeah. spaced yeah yeah exactly it doesn't feel overdone but it's just enough to keep reminding you that there's something missing here and even though she seems happy and that no at the end as well when she goes I'm not the marrying kind that broke me a little bit oh yeah that was so at that point i'd already gotten over it really like that that was just so on on the nose that it was just yeah fine i get it at this point you've already like the the episode had already superseded that yeah yeah you know yeah but i do i think i think amy's the i'm the least annoyed by amy than i have been since like the first episode (laughs) do you think that really because the showrunners think well we're doing a kid's show there has to be an annoying one (laughs) an annoying one brings humor if it's not the doctor it's amy if it's not amy it's the doctor it's neither of them then it's the guest of the week yeah when it was the doctor because it definitely was the doctor on a, f- on a couple of occasions that was exaggerated for me yeah i didn't like that it was too much i mean the the quintessential example example of that is when vincent is drawing the church that's that's the one scene we uh, so mentioned before and he's like oh is this how time passes that's exactly. what amy was doing last week no yeah you're at, right. the, <laughs> at the summit yeah, yeah. D- and did we speak well of her no, no. we spoke very ill of her yeah. it, because we hated that for for good reason as well mm. yeah but but it's something that the doctor hasn't done to this point i mean how old is the doctor sorry i asked this almost every episode <sighs> at least 800 i don't know 800 no yeah, i think no. it's like 1000 something years fuck it he's older than anyway, your average very person old. right yeah. so at this point surely the doctor must be used to an evening passing slowly yeah it is obnoxious yeah, yeah. and respect but- vincent's process yeah exactly exactly yeah. But Amy does a really good job because Amy just sits there and she shushes the doctor when he's being annoying and yeah. she sits there and she takes it in and she is like in awe. She's watching a genius at work and not many people get to do that. That's true. And he and the doc at this point is majorly spoilery and he's going, oh, when I watched Picasso do this and when I watched Michelangelo do this. Do you say spoilery? I would say name droppery. Well, name droppery as well. But at this point as well, Vincent doesn't know about time travel and he's just fucking with his head. Yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. Let's take a meta step. So at this point, Vincent does not know that they travel through space and time. He must think that the Doctor is the biggest, craziest wanker ever. Yes, absolutely. Right? Oh, I don't know, because this is the second of Abby's points. Oh, oh, let's hear it, let's hear it, let's hear it. It It relates to Amy's clothing. I mean, Amy rocking up in, where is this, Auvers. Mm. Late 19th century Auvers. Yes. The the whores there would have looked at Amy's dress (laughs) and thought, show some decorum. True. Because she is wearing like a mini skirt and she's all leg. And it would be utterly... Abby could not... No, they probably just assume that the Doctor's a crazy rich person and Amy is his prostitute. But even so, just, just Abby could not get past the fact that the fabrics, the style, yeah. everything was utterly different from another time, obviously. And she couldn't suspend her disbelief not watching as many Doctor Who episodes as we have. Old jaded hacks. I think that's one of the items that you just have to overlook. I mean... But they... Vincent didn't. Vincent cottoned on. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. Time out. When they went to Venice... 
She wore the same stuff. She wore the same stuff, and no one bat an eyelid. No one went like, oh, wait, hang on, you're wearing fabrics that require machinery that we have not yet invented. It's actually, I think it's quite interesting that they, when they go to Victorian London, they always dress appropriately. They always put on, like, the full-on outfits. Yeah, like Clara definitely does. Or... Bill did with the ice fair. What did Bill wear? Yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they always did. But if you're somewhere foreign... Then they kind of don't bother with it. I think Leon has a point. Uh, Pause, rewind, play. Or they don't wear appropriate clothing, as in historically appropriate clothing. And because it's during Victorian times, they make a point of pointing it out. Exactly. So the example that springs to mind is the one with the werewolf. What's it called? Tooth Tooth and Claw. claw. During Tooth and Claw, Rose is wearing like a denim miniskirt or something like that. And they constantly make a point of saying that she's almost naked. Yeah, yeah. Because it's Victorian times. It is Queen Victoria. Exactly, yeah. But every other time, every other time period and location. Yeah, they don't bother. They don't notice it. It's just like the accent, which I'm using as a segue to get to my next point. (laughs) Nice. Go on then. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. No, no, please. please you had something else to say. Oh, no, that was it. No, no, we're done. I'm Go done. on. Yeah. Lead on, Macduff. Kaching. <laughs> <laughs> About not just language, but accents, mm. I have a number of things that I want to point out slash ask about. Mm. First off, and this is, I can't take credit for this. This is from IMDb Trivia. Vincent talks, it talks to them in, in the cafe in the beginning. And he's like, Oh, are you also from Holland? You also speak with a, uh, with an accent indicative of a person from Holland. Yeah. And she's like, No, but the doctor says, Yes. However, she speaks with a Scottish accent, mm. correct? So does he, because he is a Scottish actor. But the TARDIS translation matrix... The dialect matrix. The dialect matrix (laughs) is assigning to him a Scottish accent, which means that in this particular scene, we are effectively seeing this from her point of view. Right? Really? Uh, Well, Mm. I think in a sense, at least we're hearing it from her point of view. Right? And in the rest of the episodes... On a number of occasions, do they talk about language and accents and understanding each other? And there's one thing in particular that really stands out to me as weird, as it differs from every other New Who episode to date. And that is when the Doctor can hear and understand mm. the Crefeus. But nobody else can. No one else can, yeah. but he can. Yeah. And presumably the others could as well if they just focused a little bit more. But that means that the TARDIS is allowing him to speak to. He actually does speak to. He says, like, oh, well, you can hear me and you can understand me. You probably don't understand why you can understand the words that I'm saying, but just believe me, I'm on your side, yada, yada, yada. It's when they're on, they're on either side of the church yeah, door, yeah. right? And does this mean, question for you guys, does this mean that the TARDIS allows you to talk to not just intelligent life, by intelligent I mean, for example, humans? Someone with a language... But also, yeah. let's say animals. Like you could talk to your dog. Or... Could you talk? That's exactly the example that I've mentioned. <laughs> Does in anyone else hear K9? Or is that just the doctor? Exactly. Yeah, there you go. That's a perfect Ooh. example. I, I've written dog in my notes. Like, could yeah. you talk to dogs? Could you talk to... And also, in my notes, 
is this why the dog speaks baby? Yeah, that, well, that was the other uh, thing I was going to come up with, is that babies aren't, at that point, I know they become intelligent beings with a language, but at that point, you don't have a language, and he can speak to babies, I think, in the next episode, is it? It is in the next yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the rate, it's, it's one episode with, what's his face, the lodger, yeah, the other, the not the lodger, the, the other chap. Yeah. It Maybe it's the next episode with him in, but... Anyway. Driving and singing, what's his yeah. name? James yeah. Corden, James that's Corden. the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now reviled across America. <laughs> but yeah, it's not even a question of proximity with the TARDIS because that is so steadfastly stuck in the town that it has posters plastered all over it yeah. by the end of the episode. They're in the church. Goodness yeah. knows where that is in relation. But oh, I do it- wonder if, um, going back to the baby thing as well, nobody else can understand the baby. Wait, does he have a companion with him? I can't remember. Oh, maybe he's on his own. I can't remember. Is this the next episode? If it's the next episode, it's just... Yeah, no, mark. there are two episodes of James Corden in, yeah. and in the first That's one he's pining, well. and in the second one he gets with the woman, has the baby. Oh, yeah. there you go, there you go, yeah. yeah so right. I think he's on his own in the in the episode with the baby. So we don't know whether Amy would have also been able to understand baby. So this means that the TARDIS allows you to effectively communicate with anyone. Yeah, I think so, including animals, because I don't think the crevice is. Like an intelligent... Exactly, yeah. right? It's not It's not like speaking to another human being or, uh, for some reason, the only alien race that springs to mind is Vulcan. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> right? but in general, like, it, it doesn't just allow you to speak to someone who would normally like be available for a dialogue. It's, someone, it's anyone, literally anyone with ears, including an animal... And so therefore, I don't know. I mean, where do you draw the line between animal and so? The Gervais is a space chicken, and he can speak to it. The Doctor could speak space rhino in the case of the Jadoon. Odge, blodge, flodge, glodge, blodge. Yeah, but the the Jadoon are intelligent creatures. You mean they're a bit anthropomorphic? They're anthropomorphized rhinos in police SWAT gear, but they are <laughs> they are effectively intelligent aliens, right? I think the Grafeus is, is more evolved because Jadun. it doesn't need clothes. Don't judge the Jadoon merely because of their horn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't think we know enough about the Grafeus to say whether it's intelligent or not. Uh, but it's just an animal, right? But, what, but how do you define animal? Just because it looks like an animal? No, no, no. I'm basing that mainly on the fact that it doesn't talk back to the doctor. Mm. So the doctor tries to have a conversation with it. He's like, you are probably surprised to know that I can, quote, uh, bark slash quack slash whatever a chicken does with you. you Cluck. Know? Cluck. Thank you. <laughs> and that, that you understand what I am clucking in your general direction. You are surprised to hear this. Maybe the TARDIS, but it never gets back to him, right? Maybe the TARDIS kind of can translate... Oh, almost emotions rather than words because at the end when the when he's dying the Grafeus or the doctor gets um, I'm afraid and I doubt if the Grafeus is saying the literal words I'm afraid but it's just maybe it's sort of expressing yeah I think that's not because of linguistic uh, differences in in terms of the how the TARDIS matrix uh, processes it I think is that's because the Grafeus is not intelligent yeah so the only thing it can express is and yeah. again, maybe it doesn't understand the language that the doctor uses, but maybe it can express, this is a friend, I don't want to hurt you. Um, yeah. But that's not the same as you won't understand how it is that I can understand you. Yeah. That, that requires sentience almost by definition. But we, don't, but we don't know whether he d- understands any of that. The doctor's just talking, and we don't know what the TARDIS translates and what the Grafeus hears. 
I think, also I think that the Grafeus hears it word for word. Oh, good point, But actually. it's so conflicted. It's such a welter of emotions. And it's like, I don't know this guy. I can't entrust him with my deepest thoughts and secrets. I'm going to play it safe. Blunder around the room. They'll figure it's it out and they won't stab, stab me through the chest. <laughs> and then we'll start talking. Oh, and then they did stab him through the chest. Oh. Yeah, and even though he's invisible, we still see the shadow of his blood pouring but, out. Yeah. That, no, that's ridiculous. Okay, hang on. Wait, while still on the topic of languages, here's a question for you. So imagine... Imagine the following scenario. In real life, not in Doctor Who, outside of Doctor Who, try to picture this. It's weird, I know. <laughs> so it, I mean, I, I'm just a, an AI activated once every two to three weeks. So <laughs> this is going to be a stretch. <laughs> but okay, let's try it. So you are in a room, you are talking to one person in whatever language, in English. Another person enters the room. You talk to that person in their language. Let's say, let's say French in this case. Like you, you're speaking French to that person. The langue de poulet. Exactly. The, <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> the person that you were speaking French to a second ago doesn't speak French. Doesn't understand French. You look on Wait, The person you were so, speaking English to. So, so yeah. Oh, sorry. So okay. Yeah. So you're you're in a room with two people. One of them speaks only English. The, the other person, person speaks only French. Anglais, français. And the other person speaks both. No, sorry. No, no. Wait, wait, wait. You so, yeah. speak both. Exactly. That's right. Okay. Wait. Hang on. Rewind. We're <laughs> going back. So you're in a room with two people. One of them speaks only English. The other one speaks seulement français. One you can only however, tell the truth and the other can only tell a lie. <laughs> uh, uh, that We will revisit that in the fourth Doctor episode, uh, something from Mars, Pyramids oh, of Mars. Labyrinth but, on Mars? Okay. But you speak both languages. So when you speak whatever, whatever language, I have to say it like this, when you speak whatever language with the person who speaks only English and when you speak whichever language with the person who speaks only French, which language are you only speaking? Are you actually speaking? And do the two understand both languages? Well, no, without the presence of the TARDIS. Yeah, because I don't think this... We're, we're talking about... Oh, sorry, I, to preface this, I am expecting the TARDIS is an active part in this. Because I don't know if this is... If this has ever come up, if you're in a... Because it, normally your companion is the one who only speaks English, but they're also affected by the TARDIS. I don't know if you've ever had two... Um, people in just extras in an episode that speak different languages. I don't know if I don't know if we ever but come maybe, across this in Doctor Who either, but, actually, but I feel like this is a flaw. But I actually no. I, now I've thought about it for a second. I think that the TARDIS you speak English and the TARDIS translates it. So you say whatever you want to say in English or in Gallifreyan or wh- whatever language you're speaking, yeah. and it translates it to the person that you're speaking to. So you would say the same thing. And both people in the room would understand you in oh, their respective oh, oh, languages. Uh, 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 so both people understand it. Yeah, I think but so. But that means that under no circumstances, if the TARDIS is an active participator, you would never be able to be the person in the room who speaks more than one language. Like, you would never be able to be the interpreter in a room between different parties if the TARDIS is an active member of that conversation. The TARDIS yeah. is the interpreter, isn't it? Well, you, but that's you, the thing. You that's interpret- what freaks me out. You can interpret between them. So if English person speaks to French person, they can't understand each other. So you'd be the third, you'd be the interpreter then. And you would understand everything. And you understand everything. But if you're speaking, then the TARDIS is the interpreter. So now picture that you are the interpreter in this, this situation. Okay. And the, the TARDIS is affecting your speech and yeah. your understanding of other people's speech. Yeah. You look at the, let's say, French person who speaks only French. Yeah. And there's another person in the room as well who speaks only English. And you explain to this person in French, mm. but you can, if you want to, you can only speak Gallifreyan. It doesn't matter. This person will only hear French, right? Yeah. 
you explain what the English-speaking person is trying to convey. Yeah, but then the English-speaking person would understand it you. in English. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My that's point. awkward. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, "Wait, are you translating that?" Because I understood that. Both of them would go, "Okay, first off, mind blown. Secondly, your role is redundant. You are fired. Yeah. <laughs> like you are the worst." Uh, interpreter ever yeah <laughs> weird aside but i'm glad we cleared that up yeah sorry I, it, this really freaked me out <laughs> checking that box <laughs> haven't touched on the actor who plays vincent really oh. who is that guy tony curran and what does he do <laughs> i only recognize him from one other thing even though having gone through his imdb list i realize i should have recognized him from more things uh, he was, among other things, he was also in what's oh shit, I didn't write this down. What's the vampire franchise which also stars Bill Nye? Underworld. Bingo. He was also in Underworld. Uh, that's not where I recognised him from. I recognised him from his role as uh, something with lots of A's in the Defiance, which is a sci- oh. it's a sci-fi original series which I watched until it got oh. cancelled. It's a really good series. It's a really oh. good show. Yeah, he. I want to say his name was like Tarak. Khan or something like that. That Khan. sounds about right. Yeah. Khan. Uh, he, <laughs> he he wore a lot of like uh, white powder on his face. Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> and the French guy in the room goes, "Oh yes, of course, Pierre." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the only thing I recognise him from. To be honest, I would say he's pretty good, isn't he? He's great. He's amazing. Oh yeah, no, I thought he was wonderful. Yeah. I mean, uh, and he does it all. He does the full fit on the bed, utterly unable to be with another person to sunny ends. And then it comes out as the cowboy. Oh, oh, with the the what? Like, like he when has he... the hat on, and he comes like storming through, and he uh, it's straight after the bed scene. Oh, and he's a broken man, and you think he's he's done for. He's not going to be useful to you. And then he Ooh. he strolls through, and he's got the hat, and then he starts playing with the. <laughs> Yeah, he pulls out. He pulls out his paintbrush <laughs> like it's a like it's his gun or whatever, and he's he's like in full cowboy mood. I love that. Oh, I didn't yeah. even consider that. That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was a really good scene actually when he was because it was so unexpected. He'd you'd seen him and he was fine. Yeah, and the doctor's a hair's breadth away and leaving. And there's a line. No, that's that's the line. He says, "Oh, we'll be out of your hair in a minute." Like, Ooh. oh, and and you see it in his yeah, eyes. It's just there's something about his face. It's so subtle, but it just falters, and you just know how heartbroken he is. No, but he actually, does a fantastic job. He's of that. such a good job. Oh, and then yeah, the next scene, he's curled up in the bed. Like he's broken and Tony Curran, if you're listening, yeah. please come on the show and just we'll have a bonus episode just talking about your portrayal how awesome of, you are, of yeah. Vincent, how you are one of the greatest actors yeah. of our generation, of and your generation. Sorry, I thought that was so nice. Of <laughs> you're older than we are. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you don't know how old he is. I'm really sorry. I've had a few vodkas. <laughs> well, he'll Punk definitely so be on now. Pumpkin's clinging I'll to that. his youth. I'll cut that. I'll cut that. I'll cut that. <laughs> But no, I think I think it, they do a great job actually of, sh- of portraying like mental health and. Where's Jim? We're having a mental health discussion. I know. Where is he? I'll give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> but and the kind of yeah, the that you can just flip from absolute despair yeah. to like yes, I've I've got this. I'm I'm with you. I'm going to help you. Like it can just be that quick. Um, okay. He, he, on that note. Yeah. Um, if you'll permit a, 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 a slight uh, topic change. Okay. One of the ways in which this episode clarifies that his life is not an easy one to lead mm. 
is that everyone in the the am, Over. I, am I right to say the town of Auvers or the village of Auvers? Like it's, it's tiny. Probably anyway. a town. It would probably have passed for a town back yeah, then. It's yeah. the town of Auvers, and like it, it's it's the fact that everyone Welcome in Auvers. <laughs> it's the fact that everyone in Auvers treats him like a an alcoholic, yeah. crazy almost like pseudo homicidal person mm. because there is a moment when a girl gets murdered by the crefeus yeah and the mother shows up everyone is the, i mean every by everyone i mean all the handful of non vincent van gogh persons that we meet during the course of this episode everyone is there mm. and they all blame vincent for this death yeah cut to Let's never talk to these people again. That is a murder that is both un sorry, a, a murder accusation that is both unfounded mm. and never followed up on. Yeah. I don't think it's an accusation as such because he has a massive alibi by being in the pub. But it seems as though separately. Yeah, but you don't know if maybe this girl was killed before he went to the cafe, right? Like it, it seems it seems as though I think he's been in a cafe all night cuz he's when they're fighting he's saying just one more drink or just give me one more like he's already been there for a while. I don't think they actually blame him. I think it's just it's when you have someone they they just say that he's mad, he's he's an alcoholic, he's dangerous and it's just that they didn't understand yeah. mental health issues back then and it was easy to blame the kind of other person that is different to us fine but we he, never we never follow up on that no so that there's in effectively while we are having this absolutely tremendous episode about how the doctor and amy meet vincent van gogh yeah we also have this murder mystery in yeah. the in the town of Auvers, which we never get to take part of. Yeah. And either the citizens of Auvers just go, well, I guess someone else got murdered under mysterious circumstances. Well, she, Let's have a ceremony. Was she one of the prostitutes? Well, we we don't find out, right? No. Oh, what? The, the, the girl that got killed? The owner of the arm. Because the arm is all we see. <laughs> the arm is all we see. We don't know if she's six or 17 or what's going on. No. I, I assumed it was an adult woman's arm. I guess I assumed it was a young girl's Did arm. You? Really? I, I assumed it was an adult person because the, the oh, coffin is not uh, like it's uh, yeah. not a child sized coffin. It's yeah. a regular sized okay. coffin. Like, in general, like there's a whole either murder mystery yeah. and acceptance of but this I think, death. I think I took that she was probably one of the prostitutes and it probably got like it's not nice, but it probably goes along with the territory. And in that time probably a lot of murders go unsolved because you don't have all the DNA. Yeah, just look at Jack the Ripper. Like, but this exactly. is like a tiny town. Yeah. It, yeah, dude, watch Ripper Street. It's fucking awesome and it people really care awesome. about it. <gasps> oh, do you know what's the guy called? The ginger guy in Ripper Street. Jerome Flynn. Yes, Jerome Flynn. He, yeah. Oh, I don't know where you're going with this. He, oh, well done. he plays the doctor in Loving Vincent and he is fucking awesome. Yeah, Dr. Um, Gachet. Dr. Gachet. Oh and, my goodness. And when you see the, the paintings on the wall in the Musée d'Orsay, of, yeah. of Dr. Gachet it is like uncanny yeah. how similar yeah. he Holy looks shit. like it is so surreal oh my well God. done the Irish casting director of Loving Vincent <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> oh by the way I'll just say what I learned at the Q&A because we were talking about accents earlier in Loving Vincent they all had regional British accents yeah, because yeah. In that area of France in which he was staying, they had their sort of own French dialect, Arlesien. Mm. And so they didn't go with received pronunciation because they wanted to go with something a bit dialectal. Because I noticed there were a lot of northern ah. act actors. There was a lot of yeah, northern actors. Irish. I liked it. Do you wish that Mitchell Curtis would do another one or do you think it's nice left as a like standalone episode? 
Oh, I loved it. And I trust him to do it again. I would welcome him back. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What does he even do nowadays? I mean, I he know. sort of swore off films after About Time. Why shouldn't he? What's About Time? Did he do About Time as well? Yeah. Someone oh! With a Bill Nye. I like that. I like that one. He loves that Oh, Bill, Bill Nye. Nye's, he's the dad, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot that Bill Nye is the dad in Dying that one. He could be the next showrunner after whoever the next one is, but the one after that he could do it. Chris Chibnall, Richard Curtis. Yeah. Could oh, yeah. do work. Yeah. Oh, Le- come on, Leon. Okay, so <laughs> here's what I was going to say before. It, they are in the Musée d'Orsay. Mm-hmm. They look at the painting. Mm-hmm. Which painting? The uh, sunflowers. No, oh. the to Amy. Oh, church. No, oh. wait. Hang on. Let's talk about to Amy later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah don't put, let's put a pin in that one, shall we? Because I feel like it's that's priceless. Like, Leave it alone. It's oh. definitely worthy of mention. No, they look at the church of Auvergne and they see what looks like might you might be an alien creature, uh, by which I mean a non-terrestrial, mm-hmm. an extraterrestrial creature in the window Good. of the church. Yep. It's just a. a tiny green blob isn't it okay so here's my question why is that a problem because mm. the doctor says he could see the face of evil he would recognize evil anywhere evil because evil i had you know i had an issue with this because it's such a good line and you're like oh evil and then but it's not evil wait okay yeah because then he goes on to, now, she's he, pointing at me. <laughs> he then goes on to say we're like in a real rush and he's talking to bill nye and he's like this is a matter of life and death like get on with it i don't want you ram like bumbling on i want a time and a date and i want to get there yeah but by the way i do love your bow tie and i also have a time machine like you can spend the next half an hour talking my ear off and i'll still get there at the same yeah, you can do three or four years but this, is, yeah. this is the episode in which the doctor is much more impatient than he normally is yeah but yeah but he does he says like i see the face of evil and then when it all comes around and we understand what it is it's not the face of evil it's actually i think that the a giant space chicken Grafeus yeah. is like a metaphor <laughs> for van gogh they're both wait 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 wait, wait. <laughs> time out rewind pause play let's, let's start again wait what what the, the Grafeus is space chicken a space chicken is a metaphor for van gogh because dutch chicken question mark? it's <laughs> from an Outside of looking in, yeah. you think it's scary and dangerous. And the villagers... Okay. So he equated the Grafeus with the villagers. He said they're scared, so they throw stones. But I actually think that he, like, he's the Grafeus. They throw stones at him because they think he's dangerous. And actually, he's just misunderstood. They don't okay. understand depression or... Like, we don't call it manic depression anymore. Bipolar disorder. Yeah. Which is, I think, what people kind of have come to the conclusion that maybe he has. That's what they said at the Q&A. Yes. Um, Ooh, well done. And so at the time, they just said, oh, he's mad. He's dangerous. We, like, let's ostracize him and let's throw stones at him and let's blame him for everything. Whereas, actually, once you understand him, it's then, like, he's not a dangerous person. He just needs treating with care. And the same with the Grafeus. He looks like a dangerous person because he attacks people, but he probably attacks people out of fear because he's blind and he's lost and he's alone. And there's a lot of parallels between Vincent and the Grafeus, I think. Mm. It's interesting that the Grafeus is robbed of one of its senses, whereas Vincent Van Gogh has sort of extrasensory capability. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely some ESP to Vincent Van G. Yeah. Sorry, the, I hijacked there your being point. A problem. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Why is it a problem that there was an alien there? This leads to a different question, and the question being, is Vince, or maybe, sorry, was Vincent a fixed point in time? 
And the reason I ask this is, let's say, for example, that he was. Mm. The painting of the Church of Auvergne, it, it was always meant to look like that. That's that's just the way that the history and time and the universe evolved, it's right? A, yeah, you're right, because the doc is like, we must get him on this day. When was this painting painted? We have to, we we have to avoid then, this painting happening, Whereas basically. they know, he knows that he survives months after that. Yeah, because exactly. Because he then kills himself. He's not yeah. killed by a Grafeus. Exactly. He th- shoots himself. Exactly. So, or does he? Well, <laughs> I don't think so anymore. Not after loving Vincent. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I th- because yeah, when he's saying it to um, Bill Nye, it's very much like we have to get there. It's life and death. We will save Vincent. But he knows full well that he doesn't die on that day. So it's not a matter of life and death. But he only and, and doesn't even die on that day because the doctor has to run off at top speed. But and even if he doesn't die then, it isn't like what's to say that the fact that he died. Like, you know, that he experienced death by Grafeus, potentially. Why isn't that the way that history was meant to take place? Because I don't think that they ever mention... They don't ever use the fixed points in time reference to Vincent, so... But, but, okay, so, I'm sorry to cut you off. They go back, they hang out with Vince, they're like, hey, check this out, let's kill this chicken. Fast forwards X years, nothing has changed. Yeah. Does that not mean that Vincent Van Gogh's death was a fixed point in time? And if that is the case, what does it matter if he saw an alien or not? Mm. Especially in this series where fixed points in time are even more up in the air than usual. Exactly. What what I've come to believe about fixed points in time, I think I've probably said this on a previous podcast, but it's the doc is usually involved in some way. And I feel like with the, like, the idea of time travel is like maybe his actions at that point have always like he needs to do what he needs to do to make sure that that fixed point state like goes the oh, way the it Douglas needs Adams to be thing. will have always were done exactly that yeah yeah, yeah. and so it hit him not being there maybe vincent would have been killed by the grafeus and so maybe he saved him by the grafeus and given him that extra two months to do all these works that make him who he is and make him the you know the Vincent Van Gogh that we know. Why doesn't Vincent in those remaining few months produce about a dozen Amy's? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. It's just too Amy. That's not what she was after. Also, he paints wait, from life. He can't. His memory isn't great. His visual, like. Wait, wait, wait. Can we just take a moment to think about to Amy? Ugh, I do. That's a bit of an annoying. Yeah, I, I mean, fuck you, yeah. history. Yeah. Fuck you, art history. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it says to Amy in English, but let's just ignore that. It really was a big bit English. More subtle. <laughs> if it was like in with the flowers or like just a bit more hidden somewhere, I would be okay with it. But it's just screaming. It looks like written in bold capital letters. How about this? How about this? It does doesn't say to Amy. Well, yeah. Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it have been better if Bill Nye had said, well, there's a long sort of mystery of in the art world of who Amy is. And then the doctor said, come along, Amy. Yeah. And he would have done his double take again. On that note, I don't mean to seem obvious, Drew, but they are in a church again in this episode. Ooh. They are in a church, They're aren't in they? confession as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a very good creepy scene mm. where, where, you're, where you're trying to see what their eyes are doing, but their eyes can't see anything either. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's you know what? very I, tense. I'm not so sure I agree with you on that one. I felt like that was the one scene that's the grey area between we know what we want to do and we have the production values to achieve it. 
it's the one scene where wait hang on are we as an audience figuring out that it's auditory that the uh, jabberwocky whatever it's called the grafeus that 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 it is only reacting on sounds because I don't know. that doesn't match with their whispering in that scene. It doesn't. It doesn't inside at all. Inside, you're right. Inside a boxed cabinet. So no, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, the next scene later, they're just talking at a, a normal volume, and the yeah. Grafeus is wandering around. It's but before scene. that, they were t- just t- the three of them talking at a normal level. They weren't whispering, and then oh. the dog shouts, and then he's like, "Oh, now he's coming for us." Uh-huh. Wait, does the dog shout or does Amy no, the shout? Dog it's the dog. He's the annoying Amy one in this also episode. shouts. There's a moment where Amy like screams, and, no, Amy, like she shrieks. Amy's screaming in the confession box. Oh yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But after they. Um, after he's oh. found them, she's screaming oh. in reaction. Whereas the doc mm. shouts because he's an idiot. Because he's an idiot in this film. In this, he is. Episode. He, he is. is a little bit of an idiot. I mean, yeah. just last week we were saying we barely noticed Matt Smith's consistently strong yeah. performances. Yes, I know. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong. Hey, la 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 la. Ratings. <laughs> Still as <does> Omri. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> this is your favourite episode. It's 5.0. I Case closed. Oh. Favourite episode. Best you said ever. this the last time. I feel like you should not hold me to things that I say when I'm drunk. But I do, like, it is a fantastic episode. Every time I've watched it, without fail, it's made me cry. And it's been a good half a dozen times so far. And I think while I was watching it the last time today, there are so many bits that are a bit cheesy, a bit crap. She's almost tearing up now, podcast land. <laughs> um, and I think in another episode, I would focus on the bad bits and I would kind of rip it apart and I would be like, this was like, duh, duh, duh. but because the good bits are so good and they're so heartfelt. And I don't know if it comes from it being like Rich Curtis and he's like more cinematic and more kind of like he does films and things. And like you were saying that Drew, the music was overly dramatic. And, I'd, and I could tell while it was happening that it's, trying it is pulling on your heartstrings and it's manipulating you in a way and it's trying to get a response out of you but i don't care it totally worked and yeah it just it i yeah i have a i have a really like emotional response to this every time and so i'm just gonna rate it really high (laughs) because i love it um so i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go for a (gasps) 4.7 wow wow (laughs) you've got to go next i can't follow that (laughs) You need to buffer me, man. <laughs> 4.7, eh? Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm, I'm very glad that I wrote my rating moments, mere moments, <laughs> before you posted yours or before you, you announced yours. I'm giving this a 4.5. Okay. It's only marginally below yours. Mm. I love this episode for different reasons at different points of the episode itself. Up until the last act, shall we say. Yeah. I love it because it feels so incredibly self-contained. Mm. And it feels like it's about to grant an homage to itself. That's acts one and two, possibly even 2.5. Yeah. Then when we get to the very end... And we have what, I don't know, maybe I haven't explored Classic Who enough, but like, maybe this is, I feel like this is unprecedented, Mm -hmm. that we take a character from history, and in a very Bill and Ted-esque way, we pluck them out of history, we plonk them into our present day, we allow them to experience history, quote-unquote, their present from our point of view, and then we plop them back into their own present, i.e. our past, that's amazing. That in itself is like a 5.0, but the, the episode itself is not a 5.0. Mm. 
Okay. I mean, this is definitely a VG episode, Van Gogh and Very Good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I'm not going to rate it as high as that. I'm going to give it a 3.9 because Ooh. it is a very good self-contained episode, but I watched it without making any notes with Abby as a tonic because I've had a difficult working week and I thought Marie has been hyping this subtly, oh. but we've been harping on about it for a long time. It's not your fault. It's us reacting to you. We overhyped it for ourselves or I overhyped it for myself and it didn't quite live up to my lofty expectations. But it made your voice cry. Yeah, except definitely because Tony Curran did a great job as Vince Van Gogh and he definitely took Doctor Who to a more emotionally affecting place than it usually gets to, certainly, than it has been for many episodes. And yes, in that way, it definitely was above the average and above the norm. But I don't think overall it was quite an outstanding episode for a lot of the, a lot of the reasons we've said. Okay. So, and the Doctor was annoying. Yeah, he was. <laughs> really he was about point five. Yeah points annoying for me yeah and then you add on the chicken and <laughs> i think is yeah that's what it is yeah i me. think i do i do you know i do i agree with you i think watch the most of the way through watching it i was sat there thinking why have i said this is my favorite episode like why am i bringing up this up so much and it is just that last scene like everything else goes out the window and it just hit me so emotionally and i just thought i saw it <laughs> So on the car on the way down, I was I was at a four point nine. So <laughs> oh, wow. you brought me down a couple. <laughs> Three point nine is still very good. It's still much yeah. better than oh, most yeah, of this series. You made me think of something that I didn't say before, and it's not necessarily related to the episode, but just in general, a general musing is that you kind of see this. We're bringing Van Gogh to to a museum to see his work and his life and look at what a difference you've made and look how incredible you are and look how much people love you and then we pop him back in france and we abandon him we never go back again we never see him again in his lifetime we've already know that he's sort of mentally unstable everybody he knows is calling him mad they don't understand depression back then they don't there's no context for it he's just a grifeus to do them. you think that that's just like triggered it more because would you believe that it was real if everyone's telling you you're mad and you were like, no, but I had these friends and they took me to the future and I saw myself. But isn't this the... Like, is, oh, sorry, I don't know. Ahead. Would that not... I can imagine that going the other way and actually making it worse. Isn't this the the price that you pay for using a character that is that well cemented in the public consciousness? That's why I asked before, like, is was he a fixed point in time? Because nothing changed but from yeah. the beginning and the revelation that Amy undergoes at but the it's end. Really, right? And it's really sad that for, like, for Amy, like, I think, I do think Amy, Amy grows a lot in this episode and showing like her excitement about like we've made a difference we've changed we've made this one person's life better we've made him live for longer and that naivety we've talked about how naive she is before and how young she is and you don't you don't mm. believe like she looks older than she is but actually we know that she's very young and she's had a very sheltered life up until this point and she goes in thinking i've changed this man's life i've stopped him from committing suicide by this one act i spent three days with him I've changed his life and actually it's not enough if somebody's suffering like that it's not you know it's not enough and that's a really hard thing to come to terms with it's really sad it's sad but I also like the the good side of that message which is 
you can be better. Everybody watching, everybody listening, you know, it is well within your ability. It is very achievable to just put a little bit more in the good column than would otherwise go in the bad column. I think that's a a really positive message. I thought that was a lovely way of explaining that as well. It's like you you can't always necessarily make like uh, what you see as a difference. You can't save a man's life, but you can give him more happy memories. Yeah, you can get your name on a painting. Well... (laughs) The scene where Vincent is describing the sky. Oh my god, that's which beautiful. Is, oh yes! Which, yeah. which then, uh, this isn't the ending of the episode. How have it's, we not talked about that? That was that was a fantastic... It's possibly Karen, what... Karen, it's, Karen. I think it's probably more beautiful than the ending of the episode itself. Yeah. The, the whole thing, where even visually they make it then sort of s- transcend from reality to how it may be portrayed by Vincent Van Gogh in, in, in oil painting. Yeah. Like, it's such a beautiful scene yeah. and it it comes from nowhere it's almost a non sequitur oh wait well, hang on you're all lying on the ground and you're holding hands it's a really unusual scene because i think we were talking about this on your loo break oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's fine we weren't filming um but yeah like normally we you have an adventure with a person you go through so much you've like you get to know them and then at the end of it you're like oh yay we all survived see you later and you yeah. say goodbye and you get in the TARDIS. And You're disposable. Bye. Yeah. And yeah. this was this extra scene that you never get and it was just taking time to be like okay we're all here we all survived we're alive and let's like and again it's this very, very bittersweet we're, we've survived we haven't been killed by the Grafeus but also the Grafeus isn't the evil monster that we thought it was. So you're in this weird kind of happy sad moment um and you're just taking time to appreciate the world and each other and they all hold hands and it's so touching and they do give it time i loved how the sky went from the sky to the painting every single phase of that Mm. transformation was i i cannot think how that could have been improved it was gorgeous yeah well done well done bravo (laughs) here's one just stating a fact Magpie Electricals. In this one as well? Yes, in this one as well. Right next to the mustard button. So I I didn't like... Oh my God, no, I loved loved that scene. (gasps) I loved it. And this button plays music. And this button makes it go this. And then, wait, I wrote wrote it down. Okay. That's a picture contrafibrillator! And this like properly panicked voice, like, don't touch that! I love that. I just realised that Richard Curtis writing Blackadder, that's a callback to accept my sincerest contribularities. (laughs) (laughs) I had no... I'm so pleased to have found out that he wrote Blackadder. That's amazing to me. No, I I love that scene. I really liked... Yeah. Showing off the TARDIS in a different way. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say some lines now that I wrote down that I just really liked, and actually they're all from the Doctor because we've we've been really hard on the Doctor. We shat on and him he hard. He has some great lines. He says, uh, "I'm the minif- minister for art and artiness," which was quite fun. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I tittered. Yeah, everyone tittered. He says, <laughs> he says, "I'll be back." Matt's tittering. I'll be back before you can say, "Where's he got to now?" And then he comes back. Oh, I didn't like that. Oh, I, I didn't not like that. There's a jump scare in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I do, do not approve. I, I thought it was fine in that Amy then got him back twice. Yeah, she did. I, I thought that was quite funny. I felt like it was out of place. Mm. But that's fine. That's all included in the 0.5 that I deducted from yeah. the perfect score. It's included in my 0.7 because I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. 
Chestnut Minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. So our first review <laughs> is from Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Yes. Yes. Loud <laughs> it. Michael Ridgeway begins The Quiet Undead 2 with Vincent van Gogh and an invisible chicken. <laughs> He begins with a list of things he liked. One, an attempt, half-hearted though it was, to address mental health issues. Two, the scene with Vincent in the gallery and the doc, Amy and Vincent, staring at the stars. Sentimental tosh, but sweet. <gasps> tosh. Three, clever Easter egg visuals of Van Gogh paintings. I think you mean obvious. Four, <laughs> first and second, Dr. Nods. Yes. Oh, we didn't mention that. I thought you would have liked Yeah, that we video. didn't talk about yeah. this. It's very standard by this point. But five, Bill Nye. Potential doctor. <gasps> he continues. Things I liked even more. This episode breaks new ground in the niche horror genre of murderous farmyard animals. <laughs> Fine examples include Black Sheep, 2006. The God Monster of Indian Flats, 1970. Featuring mutant killer sheep. <laughs> murderous pigs in Aussie horror film Razorback, 1984. And Evil Speak in 1981. <laughs> Killer Cows in Irish Horror Films, Isolation, 2005, and Dead Meat, 2004. Killer Chickens in the Mexican ripoff of Hitchcock's The Birds, called Beaks, 1971, and, ooh, Poultry Guys. Oh my god, Poultry Guys. <laughs> That's amazing. Night of the Chicken Dead, 2006. Vincent and the, and the Doctor, however, features, to my knowledge, the first gigantic mutant alien killer chicken. In brackets, a giant chicken features in 1976 film Food of the Gods, but it doesn't do much. However, naff this es- it, this episode is. Weak story, slow pacing, dodgy effects, having an invisible monster, cough, <laughs> cheapskates, low body count, rubbish monster death from a blunt easel. No, it's sharp because he sticks the point in the ground in an establishing <laughs> shot 20 minutes earlier. He does. Good point. <laughs> Lack of fallout from Rory's death, etc. From Rory's death. Well, he can't have a big fallout because Amy doesn't remember it. He never existed. (gasps) (gasps) Dot, 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 etc. Much respect should be given for enriching this horror genre with the chicken. And he gives this a Drew 3.5 out of 5 giant mutant alien chicken clucks. (laughs) 1.5 points for the episode, 2 points for the giant mutant alien chicken. Goes without saying, I think. Nice. Right. <laughs> nice one, Michael. We love you, Michael. <laughs> Bingo bongo. So our next review is from David E. Bagum. Mm. He is David E. David E. <laughs> it says, E starts, David E starts, okay then. After all my vitriol about the rubbish, let's just put some scales on a Newman face. Silo. Why are you doing a northern accent? You're from I, Sheffield. I don't Th- know. There's, there's no, <laughs> there are no <laughs> indications to corroborate this is how David E. Uh, speaks. Uh, I bet it is. <laughs> uh, we come to a Matt Smith story that he ca- I cannot hate. Try as I might. Uh, also, Amy isn't so, I'm just so obviously a confident woman and striding around and shouty in this one. We don't hear her scream, Rory, in this at all. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what? I had not noticed that, but that, that makes a difference. <laughs> it does, yeah. David E. continues, That gooseberry has been erased from existence, and the show is better for it. In fact, neither of them are being irritating in this. 
was this written for a previous Doctor? Tony Curran as Mr. VG is fantastic. The story revolves God. around him and he is utterly convincing and compelling. Great casting. The scene where he's in his bed having a bad time and the Doctor can't do anything to help him is inspired. I would have been so annoyed if the Doctor had cured him. In a science fiction show, we get a very realistic portrayal of mental illness and the realities of it. That's exactly what you sound like, David E. Nice one, David E. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't, I can't do that because you've just done Lancashire and I'm not from there. So, well, carry on with the Yorkshire. The only floating turd is the creature. Looks bad. <laughs> is this Yorkshire? <laughs> Both in design and execution. Either that, or it was meant to look a bit pathetic and ugly. What's it called again? Crayfish? You're from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and David, he continues, I wonder what this would be like if uh, it was a pure historical, uh, probably the highest rating I'll give a Matt Smith episode, 4.4. <laughs> Cheers. That's what he sounds like because he's from Sweden. Thanks, David E. That was a great, great review, I think. Yeah, from wherever you sent that from. Sorry. Uh, uh, apologies for the mixed geography. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, this one comes from Tracy Fountain. Hello, Tracy. One Hi, of the Tracys from America. <laughs> there are multiple. We only just discovered. Yeah, yeah. Tracy begins with a complaint. Oh. Just one nitpick. It is incredibly distracting to hear oh, the name pronounced like Van Gogh when anyone I've ever heard, brackets, in America, says it like Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> So, on to the good stuff. Wow, what a beautiful episode. Visually, it is just stunning. The light is pouring all over everything, bringing out all the yellows and blues. I buy into the idea that this is the reality Van Gogh was painting Van Gogh. From. I mean, sorry, Van Gogh was painting from. <laughs> Thank you, set design and lighting. The doctor jabbering <laughs> while Vincent paints is great. Sorry, wait, I think you meant isn't great. <laughs> Carry on. Is this how time normally passes? Must be disorienting to be a time lord and feel you're misunderstanding time. Actually, I retract my remark. I did like the sort of thing he was getting at there. I did like the conceit. Oh, he rejects the Sonic! I also like that. Interesting. One of the non-regulars rightly pointed out in your Amy's Choice review that that episode was insensitive in regards to the topic of mental health. I'm not an expert by any stretch, but this episode seems to do a better job. I think she means Jim. I think she might mean Jim. You know, I Jim. So, yeah. <laughs> Lovely Jim. Lovely Jim. What a guy. Uh, it is quite a nice scene of them in the field looking at the stars. A quite a nice scene. Tracy, I would say it's a very nice scene. I have a beautiful memory of three friends and myself lying in a field looking at stars this way. And it was during this scene that my daughter suddenly said, Wait, he's the guy who painted Starry Night? More comments from Tracy, Tracy from, from America's daughter. daughter. Vincent knows Amy lost someone. How does he know? I mean, Rory was erased from time. And I completely forgot Vincent went to 2010. The topic of Van Gogh... Nice one. <laughs> ...can really only be done in a bittersweet way, and I think Doctor Who pulled it off. And Tracy caps it all with a rating of Starry Starry Night. You can hey. follow Tracy on Twitter. Um, her tweet... <laughs> Tweety box is... That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards. Thank you, Tracy. I'm really sorry for being so drunk. 
Next up, we have Trenton Bliss. Hello, Trenton. Hi, Trenton. So, Trenton begins. <laughs> this is possibly my favorite Eleventh Doctor episode, hands down. Hands down, people. Nice. Good. Get choice, those hands Trenton. down. <laughs> I'm putting that. They're all the way down there. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> Go is my favorite artist. Seeing him in that place with the Doctor was like a dream. I loved every second of it. The person playing Van Gogh really looked like him, and it was so wonderfully acted. Academics will spot anachronisms. Even I can tell how Van Gogh was painting sunflowers before 1890. But surely none can grumble at writer Richard Curtis's mission to touch the hearts of viewers, especially children, with the story of a troubled genius unappreciated in his own lifetime. Uh, trivia time. Uh, sorry to interrupt you here, Trenton. Uh, the the self portrait yeah. of uh, Vincent that we get to see in this episode it, it was slightly modified to look a little bit more like <gasps> Curran. No way. It was. Yes way. Oh, yes way. I didn't spot that. Well, nor did I. Yeah. But I remember I read this. when they yeah. held them up at the end. He held it up to his face, and I thought, wow, it's like his nose is identical. Like. Yeah, they, they modified very, it just a yeah. little bit to look a little bit more like him. Yeah. All right. Trenton agrees with some things we said. And then he said, but the best scene by far was the scene in the art museum when the curator sang praises of Vincent while the artist himself was standing right there. Doctor Who doesn't often make me cry, but this makes me cry every time. Me true, Trenton. Me true. <laughs> me, me true. <laughs> Holy smokes. That is some fucking strong Fetorovka. Let me say that again. Me too, Trenton. Me too. Uh, uh, Trenton, don't worry. I kept all of that in. Who, who would have thought that your name was a trunk trister? <laughs> it's even more tragic, Trenton continues, when Vincent still kills himself. As the doctor himself once said, you can't rewrite history. Not one line. Well, apart from when you can. It's never more apparent than it is here. Overall, this story is so good. If you're a classic Who fan, the elements of the 60s historical is there, mixed in with the invisible monster. Anyone can design a visible monster, but to design an invisible monster takes a special kind of clever. Makes this story an amazing work of art. And he gives this... A 4.3 out of 5. Holy smokerinis and cheesecakes. Chanton then goes on to say... If you really like this episode, check out the movie Loving Benson. Which we've been talking about for two hours. Basically the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Great film. But he brings up an interesting point. Is this a historical? Oh. Oh. It's a pseudo-historical, isn't it? Oh, I thought you'd pseudo-say that. People of Podcast Land who are not Trenton, you can follow Trenton on Twitter. He is at Trenton Bless. That is Bless with two S's. Next up, we have a new listener. <gasps> Fantastic! No way! Slash a new listener mini contributor. This one comes from Star Wars Sill. Oh, oh my god, this breaks my heart already. Ooh, like, you better start so reading much. it out then. Oh, go for it, go for it, go for it. Hi Star Wars Sill, welcome Hello. to the show. Hello. Uh, Star Wars Sill starts, hey guys, been listening to your new Who podcast for a few months now. It always makes me smile. <laughs> oh yeah. So thank you for consistently adding to my pile of good things. Way. You're welcome. <laughs> Vincent and the Doctor, Star Wars still continues. This is my absolute favorite Doctor Who episode, but I do have a couple of questions. I know evil when I see it, and I see it in that window. Quote, 
Except he apparently doesn't. Doctor doesn't know. <gasps> Why not? I know when something does not belong, and that does not belong here. Quote. Instead, yeah. also, if you paint it, he will come. But why? It's blind. How <laughs> would it know it? Point. That's a super good point. It is blind. How would it know it was being painted? And why does being blind mean it doesn't eat its food anymore? Star Wars still continues. The museum guide and the doctor squeeing over bow ties was adorable. And oh, there yeah. were many delightful moments. Maybe you've had enough coffee now. Yes. I like that. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not like that. Oh! <gasps> Sorry. But did Sorry. you know? Did Never you know coffee. Did you know that Vincent van Gogh used to drink up to 60 cups of coffee a day? I did not know that. Now I have a newfound appreciation of Vincent and the Doctor. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> nice. Another delightful moment was Vincent mixing up left and right for a moment and the Doctor's complete inability to tolerate waiting with any sort of grace. This episode has heart. And though it was my fourth time watching it, it still made me tear up. Same. Me too. Ditto. Correct. Always. All in all, I'd rate this as oh, 4.8 paintings Vincent did not paint over to SketchUp. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite rating of all time. That is brilliant. Bravo. I'm going to applaud your first. Oh, wait, wait. It, let's so all much. applaud. Yes. Thank you Star so Wars much Hill. for writing in. Oh, my goodness. Welcome aboard. People of Podcast Land who are not Star Wars Sill, you can follow Star Wars Sill on Twitter. He is at... Star Wars Sill. <laughs> Sill. Wait, wait, wait. That's, that's Sill with a Y. Yeah, Sill is spelled S-Y-L. Yeah, you need to clarify that. because That's, that's not Star clear. Wars Sill. Sill. S-Y-L. S-Y-L. <laughs> <laughs> and please write in for more episodes that aren't your absolute favourite. Because they're equally fun. <laughs> What's next? I'll tell you what's next. What's next, Drew? N071. The Lodger. That's right. No, no. No, that's not what's next. It oh, is what's next. Isn't it? Oh, we're going to do a classic who next? Oh, maybe. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, so here's the dealio, podcast lamp. <laughs> next up, we're going to do the classic, The Green Death, after which we're doing the new who episode. The Lodger. After which we are... <gasps> Bonus. 200th. Holy smuggerines and cheesecakes. Go to uh, facebook.com slash whobackwhen slash follow us on Twitter. And I I in order to be notified of what we want from you, Podcast Land, for our 200th episode. We just want you to write to us. Just say your most delicious things and in written word. And for more detail, follow us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> But really, anything, anything you want. Yeah. But for more detail, follow us on Facebook because actually specificity counts. Yeah, instructions will be forthcoming. Sure. <laughs> Boring. In the meantime, you can follow some of us on Twitter. Those of us who are bothered. Leon. At Punkin. Yeah. I'm also <laughs> among the Tweety Brood. I am at Drew Back When. Excellent branding. And Marie, well... That's another I'm story. Until the next time, thank you so much for listening in. You've been a wonderful audience. Rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Toodles. Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?